0: Well, you know what the title of the sermon is by the fact that the only name we've been singing about this morning is who? Yeah, right, exactly. You passed the test so far. Let's see how much further you can get. There is so much said and unsaid about Jesus in our culture today. And I wanted to present to you this morning And I know you've been Christians for many, many years, but it's good to get a reminder as to who the Jesus of the Bible is. It's good for us to remember what the scriptures say about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's our Savior, amen, and he's our Lord. So it may seem unlikely to read what I'm going to read, but I want you to understand. I want to give you a perspective. I want to give you the big picture. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus walked on the earth. An unknown author wrote these words in an essay titled, One Solitary Life. And here are a few excerpts. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never owned a home. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. And here we are in 2023, and after 20 centuries, you would think that all that could be said or written about him would have been buried in the sands of time. And yet Jesus Christ remains our focus of attention even this morning. Amen? He's our focus of attention, adoration, and for hundreds of millions of ordinary human beings. He is the source of deliberation and consternation for critics, skeptics, scholars, and novelists today, even more than ever. This is kind of an old study, but I want to share it with you anyway. According to Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, if you search for Jesus at Amazon.com, You'll find at that time, he wrote a few years ago, 175,986 books written about Jesus. Google his name, and in a blink of an eye, you'll get over 165 million references. And this is 2,000 years later. We're still focusing on this Jesus. Jesus. Newsweek website in 2006 invited people to tell who they think the real Jesus is, and here are some of the negative responses. Jesus is about as real as Santa Claus, the tooth fairy, or King Arthur. Who was Jesus? A highly moral person, much like Mother Teresa, no less, no more. Honestly, I don't care about Jesus. Who or what he is or isn't doesn't affect me. Jesus is a fairy tale for grown-ups. Who was Jesus? An apocalyptic prophet who bet wrong and died as a result. He should be ignored, not celebrated. I don't know if you're aware of how much angst there is, how much anger there is, how much bitterness, how much hatred there is for this book and for the Savior. But sometimes when we lift the lid on it, it's kind of startling and upsetting to us who love him. The debate as to the identity of Jesus did not begin over the past decade, nor with the book and subsequent movie The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. You may remember what he wrote. His famous headline was, Everything you've ever thought about, been taught about Jesus is a lie. That was a famous book, a bestseller, a best-selling, a best-viewed book and movie. the, The debate began when Jesus was walking on the road to the, in the streets of Jerusalem. When did the debate about who Jesus is begin? It didn't begin in the 21st century. It didn't begin in the 20th century. It began all the way back at the first century. Turning your Bibles up there on PowerPoint to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Forget what the rest of the world is saying, but who do you say? And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Simon Peter answered and said in verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. There were and there are many opinions of Jesus being bounced around in his day. Some said he was an anarchist, ready to overthrow the Roman Empire. Some saw him as an appeaser of the Roman Empire. Look at these contradictory ideas. Some religious leaders considered considered him a heretic, heretic, while others considered him a threat to their power and position. And as such, they were not above throwing mud in his direction. What kinds of things were being said about Jesus on the street? Well, listen to what Jesus says about that in in Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. He quotes his adversaries of saying on him that he was a gluttonous man, that he was an overeater, and a winebibber, that he was a drunk, a friend of the publicans, tax collectors, which is probably the worst thing you could have said at that time. I don't know about today. And sinners, you and me, friend of all of those people. In other words, if you went down the list, Jesus was a friend of all the outsiders all the unacceptable. He was a, he was a friend of those who have been who had been separated from everybody else and they didn't want to know who they were. The Jesus of the Bible is many things, and I want to focus on just four of those this morning. Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as a man of compassion, Jesus as a man of character and integrity, and Jesus as our text reveals the Son of God. First, Jesus was a great teacher. Some people say that and they leave it there. But he's more than that. John 3, 1 and 2 says, There was a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as you may remember, were the guardians of the law. And they were Jesus' chief adversaries. They hated him. They wanted him dead. This Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou dost, except God be with him. So Jesus' words and Jesus' deeds look the same. How, can that, how, how much of that can be said about us? It was an unfortunate saying in the business world for years, quote, those who can do, those who can't teach. The idea was you can't learn how to run a business strictly out of books and lectures about business. They're not the same as running a business. In effect, there was a disconnect between what someone says and what they will do. But Nicodemus said that Jesus was a master teacher, rabbi, whose teachings and actions were connected. What you heard from Jesus is what you saw in Jesus. Think about that. Think about yourself in light of that. Jesus taught about love, for example. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. Jesus lived out that love lesson he taught. The Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians two twenty about that. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loves you. How much does he love you? Paul says he, he gave his life for me. Jesus said, I can't do any more to demonstrate I practice what I teach about love. In John 15, 13, he said, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And then he followed it up with this, and I call you my friends. Every person sitting in this room, every person within the sound of my voice, Jesus considers you his friend, and as such the person he loves he was willing and he died for you jesus taught about forgiveness and this is a tough one for people the apostle peter asked jesus how many times should i forgive somebody does seven times sound good enough to you jesus and jesus answered in matthew 18:22 i say not unto thee until seven times but unto 70 times 7 do the math what, 70 times seven? That's a lot of forgiving, but in this hard lesson, did Jesus' actions support his teachings? Jesus said, being, for, being able to forgive is open-ended. You don't check off the box, and after a while, you came to the bottom of the list, and now you can stop. Just like don't. there's no scripture that says stop, stop praying. There's no scripture that says stop forgiving. Here's the picture. Just after three years of doing what was good and honorable, Jesus had been tried and convicted in a kangaroo court of violating religious law. What religious law? They couldn't tell him. They paid false witnesses to testify against him. And after they convicted him, he was whipped. He was beaten until the flesh had been torn off his bones. They spit at him, they cursed him, they mocked him, they made him carry the instrument of his death, a wooden cross, through the streets of Jerusalem. When they got him to the hill called Golgotha, they stripped him naked, they nailed nailed his hands and feet to the cross. He was a bloody, disfigured mess. How do you think he reacted to that? How would you react to that? Somebody does something to us, we get our nose out of joint, We're not so ready to forgive. Luke 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's been beat up. He's been cursed at. He's been spit upon. Every possible thing you can imagine is being perpetrated against him. You would think he could get angry. The Bible says if he he chose to, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have wiped everybody out in a single word. But what are the words that he says? Forgive them. Forgive them. And it isn't that he's past the pain. So maybe his memory of the pain isn't what it was before. No, no, no. He's in the midst of the pain. And he's still saying, forgive them. Contrary to do what I say, not what I do. Jesus, the master teacher, said, follow me. My words and my actions tell the same story. What I say about forgiveness is how I forgive. Compare and contrast this reaction to the reaction of Islam's founder and self-pronounced Prophet Muhammad. Muhammad was a man of war. He taught his followers to fight for his new religion. He said that their God, Allah, had commanded them to take up arms. And Muhammad, no armchair general, fought in numerous battles. He, already had experience, he, was, uh, he was already an experienced warrior before he assumed the role of prophet. In the book, Islam, Robert Spencer writes, Muhammad had participated in two local wars, but his unique role as prophet warrior would come later. After receiving revelations from Allah through the angel Gabriel in 610 AD, he began by just preaching to his tribe the worship of one God, and his own position as prophet, but he was not well received by the brethren in Mecca who reacted disdainfully to his prophetic call and refused to give up their gods. Muhammad's frustration and rage became evident. Even when his uncle, Abu Lahab, rejected his message, Muhammad cursed him and his wife in violent language that has been preserved in the Quran, the holy book of Islam, quote, May the hands of Abu Lahab perish. May he himself perish. Nothing shall his worth and gains avail him. He shall be burnt in a flaming fire. His wife, laden with sticks, shall have a rope of fiber around her neck. Koran 111, 1 through 5. Ultimately, Muhammad would turn from violent words to violent deeds. When Peter tried to protect Jesus, He took up a sword, and he lopped off the ear of a soldier. And Jesus put it on that soldier again. And he said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He never encouraged anybody to pick up a sword. Number two, Jesus was a man of compassion. When his best friend died, and Jesus saw the pain of those who loved that man, the pain was so severe Jesus went to a place, and John 11.35, which is the shortest verse in the Bible, says this about, about God in the flesh, creator of the universe. 11.35 said, he wept. I've told you in the past what that word means. It's not just that he shed a few tears. It's not that he cried. It's that he had a gulf, a, 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 a reaction that came right from his stomach. Every bit of emotion that could possibly tear away at who he was was tearing away at him at this moment. He tied. He cried in convulsions. That says it all to a macho world in which real men don't cry. Instead, we stuff our emotions. Jesus' compassion was lived out through his miracles. A miracle is a thing not naturally explained but understood as supernatural. The Bible records more than 3,000 miracles performed by Jesus. Most people think what when you say Jesus performed miracles? Most people think of Jesus walked on the water. That's about it. But what people don't realize that of the 3,000 miracles performed Jesus by Jesus, 90% of them was about healing about healing people. He would heal the body, the mind, and the soul of hurting people. Listen to this list. Compassion turns to healing action. He brought sight to people blind from birth. He brought the gift of healing to the deaf. He brought the flesh back on the face and hands of lepers. He brought movement back to dead legs of paralyzed man. He brought sanity and reality back to the tortured minds of a demon-possessed people. And when a poor woman who had spent all she had on doctors, who couldn't stop her hemorrhaging, just touched the hem of his robe, she reached out in faith and she was healed immediately. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Faith in what? Doctors? She tried that. The hospital? There were none. Medicare? Uh-uh. Her insurance? Uh-oh. Faith in Christ. Doctors treat, but Jesus heals. Amen? Doctors treat, but Jesus heals. All healing comes from God. Number three, Jesus was a man of character and integrity. Character is made by many acts. Of all the properties which belong to honorable people, not one is so highly prized as that of character. I like what evangelist D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. Who you are when nobody's watching, who are you when nobody's around to watch? Who is that person? Only you know that and God knows that about you. In a world in which character and integrity are in short supply, Jesus' life shines like a lighthouse on a stormy night. What did the people who saw Jesus, who lived among Jesus, What did the people who watched him in his closing moments, what did they have to say about Jesus that speaks to his character? 1 John 3, 5, it says, there's no sin in him. Pilate, his judge, said, I found no fault in him. The thief on the cross who was next to him, he said he did nothing wrong. Judas, his betrayer, says, I have shed innocent blood. And the Roman soldier who crucified him said of him, surely this was an innocent man. His character shone through, his integrity shone through, who he really was in the most desperate moment of his life bled through. A good and decent man for all who could see just the surface. In an act of unconditional love only God is capable of. The sinless one took upon himself the sin of all humanity, yours and mine which brings us to Peter's confession and Jesus' admission. Number three, (coughs) Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So let me begin with a poll for you to answer yes or no. Question number one, was Jesus a great teacher whose words and actions matched? Can I see your hands? Yes, no, why did I realize nobody was gonna say no? Was Jesus a man of compassion whose life touched the lives of others, yes? No, if you say no, I'll see you later. (laughs) Was Jesus a man of character and integrity, yes? So my final question is this. Would a man of such character and such integrity lie about who he is? Yes, no, you got all of them right. Very good. I'm marking your papers later. But your response to that last question is the most important answer you will ever give to the most important question ever asked Whom do you say that Jesus is? He's more than a great teacher, he's more than just a man of great compassion, he's more than just a man of unimputed character and integrity. In acknowledging that he is the Son of God, Jesus is proclaiming that he is God in the flesh. The author of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, wrote, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation, God in us. They say that God became man. Lewis went on to say, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is God because he said so. Jesus claimed to be what no other could claim, that he is God. Buddha never claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be God. Moses never claimed to be God. But listen to this. In the person of Jesus Christ, a man has not become God. God has become man. Read that with me. You ready? God, in the person of Jesus Christ, A man has not become God. God became man. When you make that proclamation, you're telling everybody around you and the world around you that I believe that Jesus is the living Son of God, not just a man of character, integrity, of compassion, of, of able teaching. Why did God become man? Well, the verse that is considered the gospel in a nutshell is John 3:16, For God so loved the world, repeat it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you claim that verse as yours? The story is told of a housewife. I've told the story many, many years ago, but it kind of helps explain why Jesus came. God, Jesus is God spelling himself out in a language that humanity can understand. The story is told about a housewife washing dishes after the kids left for school. Looking at one plate for a long time, she asked, How many times have I washed this plate? How many times have I dried it? How many more times will I repeat this process? She took off her apron packed a few belongings, and left. That night, she called home to tell her husband she was all right, but she would not come home again. From time to time, she would call to see how her husband and children were doing. She would never tell them where she was. She would not give in to their pleas to come home again. The husband hired a detective to search for her. The detective soon tracked her down. Her husband set out immediately to bring her home. He knocked on the door of her apartment. She opened the door. She saw him. She didn't say a word. She went to her bedroom, packed her bags, and silently followed him into the car. She never said a word for hours. Finally, her husband asked, why didn't you come home before? Over the phone, I begged you to return. Why didn't you come? She answered, I heard your words. But it wasn't until you came for me that I realized how much you really cared for me and how important I really was to you. The Old Testament prophets told how much God loved us, but we never really got the message. It wasn't until Jesus came and looked us in the eye. It wasn't until Jesus came and hung on that cross. It wasn't until Jesus said, I love you. I've come for you, you're a sinner. I've come for you in your imperfect person, your imperfect life. I've come for you and I love you. Great teacher, man of compassion, man of impeccable character and integrity, yes. But above all, God in the flesh, who loves you, who proved that love by dying in your place and mine. He is your Lord, the ruler of your life, He is your savior, the one who saved you from your sin and hell and damnation and saved a place for you in heaven. Have you decided to follow Jesus? And if not, why not? Do you believe in him? Do you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection? He loves you and he wants to give you a life worth living. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, why not this morning? If you've always found something missing deep inside, why not find something worth living for? Christ wants to give you that kind of a life. It's hard to do, no, it's not hard to do, but it's the most important thing to do. And that's to admit that you've sinned against God. And that's to say to him that you want to be forgiven. Would he forgive you of your sin? And that's to say that I believe that Jesus came and died for me. He died on the cross for me. And that his sacrifice on Calvary will wash away my sins and will bring to me the salvation that's going to allow me to live forever in heaven with you. Lord, please come into my heart and my life right now. That's a prayer. If you give assent to that prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart this morning, he will. He will change your life forever. How do I know? Well, first, I read it in this book and then I found it in my life. How many of you have found Jesus in your life this morning? i have to raise your hand. And how many of you have not? If you know that you haven't, please pray with me. Father God, I'm not sure about my relationship to you, but I want to be sure before I leave this place today. I acknowledge that you... You, Jesus, died for me, died on the cross, shed your blood for me, that I might be forgiven of my sins. Please forgive me of those sins. I claim the blood of Jesus. Please send your Holy Spirit into me this morning. I don't want to go back and be the person I used to be. I want to be the person you intended for me to be. So please, Lord, go before me. Help me to live my life as a Christian. Help me to have the courage to stand up for Jesus this morning. And I pray it in his name, the one who suffered and bled and died and rose again for me. In his name I pray it. Amen and amen.